You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Thanks, Nick. Um, and you guys, you know, that's <laughs> I think the best thing is we applaud for Nick getting up here in the faithfulness and all that stuff, but um, what a powerful thing God did in Nick's life. Now, here's the rub. Sometimes when guys like Nick get up, or um, or anybody, I mean, I, I could get up and share the darkness of our my past. You might be tempted to think, "Well, God didn't work that powerfully in my life." Tell you what, it is just as powerful for God to keep you close to Him than it is for Him to pull you back from the depths of lostness. And to keep you close to Him each and every single day that you walk in faith. That is powerful. And we somehow think that, like, that's a done deal and it's signed and sealed and there's, like, like, whatever. But, but here's the deal. Like, we have to come, we, we get to come to God every day and say, I need to, I need your power, I need your strength to follow you. Each and every day, and that's the one thing I love about Nick is he's free and freely and freely enough. He admits how uh, messed up he is, doesn't ever like hold up or, or portray that he's anything but, and knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that he needs to hear from and follow Jesus each and every day. And I'll tell you, it challenges my faith in a pretty real way. So let's pray for Nick, and uh, then we're going to jump into God's Word for a little bit. And uh, yeah, so let's just pray for Nick. Lord, thank you for Nick's faithfulness to get up here when I know that it's something he doesn't want to do. But you've been on a path of bringing him to things that he doesn't want to do because that is what you do in our lives because it's not about us. And you're bringing us to your throne and to your feet. And um, Lord, it's uncomfortable a lot. It's a lot uncomfortable. And so I pray for Nick. I pray that you would continue to open his ears and his eyes and his, his heart as he follows you. Um, Lord, thank you for his reminder that we are we don't have this all together, and thank you for his powerful reminder the, the reminder you placed inside of him that he doesn't even see that each and every day he can hear from your spirit and follow you, and we get to do that too. So encourage us with Nick's faith and push us towards uh, towards you in the power of your spirit. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we enter your word today, that you would do the same, that you draw us to your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm sure Nick would be happy to sit around afterwards and answer all kinds of questions. He's shaking his head. Yeah, he'll be here. And, uh, and so I encourage you to go and grill him and drill him and ask him all kinds of things that are going to make him squirm and feel uncomfortable. Because... It's really fun to watch him do that. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm kind of, I'm kind of working on my Nick impression just a little bit. And I gotta, I gotta get it down. But he, he does like to squirm. Um, so that's good. Uh, well, uh, we're gonna jump into the Word of God if we, if, if you're okay with that. Actually, I don't care if you're okay with that. That's what we're gonna do anyway. So, find a Bible. We're gonna be in First Corinthians. First uh, Corinthians is in the New Testament. It's uh, one of Paul's letters. Uh, we're going to read a, a chapter that is perhaps, um, it is amongst my favorite in all of the scriptures. And I know I say that a lot because I have a lot of favorites, but this really, really is like, this is, this is mind boggling, mind bending, mind blowing, but also soul healing and something that awake, that will, I hope, awaken you. 
And uh, I'm going to try to jump through things as as much as humanly possible. Um, I'm going to try to get through this as quickly as humanly possible without just talking really fast, because that's usually what I do. Um, uh, Who here ever said this phrase, my dad is stronger than your dad? Anybody ever say that? Winter, you never did? I am am wounded. I am totally wounded. None of my kids raised their hands. Some of you say my dad is stronger than your dad, and you mean it, like John Olson's kids. Um, yep, and uh, some of you mean my dad smells stronger than your dad, but that's neither here nor there. Um, my dad, I said that all the time. We had that argument all the time when I was in uh, elementary school. My dad, I thought, was a superhero. If you've ever met my dad, he looks like somebody... Whoa. Anybody? No. I thought we were going to have some heart telling, some like heartfelt story. Let's talk about my dad. Um, okay, no. Uh, if you ever met my dad, he looks like a lawn gnome escaped somebody's front lawn uh, right now. But when he was younger, he's about, he's shorter than me. He was five foot eight at his tallest. Um, I've seen him dunk basketballs. Um, yeah, and he's Polish and white, and so that's uh, that's that's a pretty big thing. Uh, he at one point in time uh, he tells stories. He, he was in the military. He was in Vietnam. Um, he, he was a carpenter. He was a firefighter. Um, now he fights nuclear fires with engineering skills. Um, my dad is my dad in my mind was not only a genius, but um, he had these gigantic calves that were like the size of me. Um, he, he ran marathons for a while. Um, he, yeah, he was a he was a pretty scrappy young dude. And uh, from what I heard about him as a high schooler, he was really a scrappy young dude. He went the way of Nick and myself to some degree. He ran away into alcoholism. He grew up in a family that owned a bar, and there's pictures of him at six years old drinking from a tap. Um, and so, yeah, that's not a great thing for a six-year-old. And uh, anyway, so he went the way of alcoholism, and then Jesus radically changed his life. But I always thought my dad was a superhero. I once watched my dad uh, chase a kid down barefoot on a bike. I think I've told that story before. Maybe I haven't. I'll tell it again. So um, my dad loves his lawn, manicures his lawn, and this kid like ran his bike on the lawn just as my dad was finishing up like manicuring the lawn, and my dad took after him. The kid flipped him off. My dad said, you rotten kid, kid flipped him off. My dad took off after him barefooted in nothing but running shorts. And he was running behind this kid the whole time. The kid pedaling and screaming, right? It's like, you can see the like smoke coming out of this kid's joints. And he's like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And my dad's this crazy guy, and he's red-faced. He's got a vein popping out, and he's right behind him going, you dirty rotten kid. And he's like, and I know he could have caught him. I know he could have, but he ran behind him for an entire block just because he wanted to terrify that kid. <laughs> I thought my dad was a superhero. Then I grew up a little bit later, and uh, and I realized my dad, and I got taller than my dad, and I got stronger than my dad, and I realized my dad was actually kind of tiny, and um, I still think he's a superhero. He's a pretty strong dude, but uh, my my friends used to make fun of my dad. He was, uh, you know, he, he was a runner in the 1970s and 1960s, and so runner in the 1970s and 60s have these fancy shorts that have a nice slit up the side of them. Mike, you know these pretty well. Yeah. Why is there a slit up the side of the shorts? Is it just to show the legs off or is it for resistance? Depends on the person. Depends on the person. Yeah. Okay. 
It's true. It's true. And for some reason, so my dad has like hairless legs. I don't know how that happened, but his are like completely slick. You guys, you guys are gonna meet him again, and you're gonna be like. <laughs> but for some reason or another, he's got the shiniest legs ever, right? And uh, um, anyway, so um, so he would get out in his little uh, running shorts and his penny loafers, and he would mow the lawn. And I'd have friends that would drive by, and then on Monday they'd meet me, and they'd be like, "Hey, da- hey, Brian, so your dad out naked again? <laughs> like, no shirt, no nothing, just these speedo running shorts, mowing the lawn." And I'm like. Oh, my dad is not a superhero. He's just a weirdo with a lawnmower and a speedo, right? So, I don't know if any of you have said that about your dad, but I said it lots of times. Um, what, the reason why I bring this up is because we like to fight over over what is who. You know, we like to fight over our dads being strong. We like to fight over all these things. Figuring out who is strong is often a matter of very is very subjective. Who or what is strong is very very subjective. It's based on your perception, right? If I only know my dad, who's the strongest force in the world? My dad. And then when I grow up and I see forces that might be stronger than my dad, say my own brokenness or whatever, all of a sudden I realize like my dad lacks a little bit of power and he's not a superhero anymore. Paul's going to talk about this in 1 Corinthians, about this principle of what is strong and what is not. And what he says in this particular chapter is uh, what I say is this is, the, this is the kingdom ethic. This is the church, uh, the church's marching orders, so to speak. It's incredibly important. Now he's writing to the people in Corinth, in the church of Corinth. And the church in Corinth, and we've talked about this historically. I'm going to try to get through this as best as I can. It'll be up on the screen. But the church in Corinth is a very violent place. It's a very argumentative place. It's a place that has political polarization. They argue a lot. They're... They're against each other. They're angry at each other. Uh, they, they do unified attacks on each other. We saw that a little bit last week. Um, it's a lot like America. Um, th- this is a place with two ports in the ancient world, and so it's a trade route where two worlds are meeting, and so it's an influx of a lot of different cultures. And this place is really signif- it's a significant city, and it's very focused on not only individualism, which we talked about last week, but it's very focused on things like power and strength, and efficiency, and effectiveness, technology, and the best clothes. I mean, you think about it, everything was coming in and out of these two ports, and you've got all of the goods and services at your fingertip, at your, you've got, you got everything you could possibly want. And so people were coming out of Corinth, and they were very dressed up, but inside there's a lot of rottenness, because in the culture, there's all kinds of stuff going on. It's been likened in many, many commentaries to Vegas in our day. This is what Corinth felt like in its, in its culture, in its cultural context. So, but the Church of Corinth, what's happening is they're actually splitting apart and Paul's writing to them in order to attack some things. And so we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to read verses 10 through 31 and then I'm going to unpack it just a little bit. So, starting off in verse 10, he says this, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree to one, with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas, who's Peter. And still another says, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I'm thankful I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Beside that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. 
For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, so what what Paul's doing here, and we're going to jump back in in just a second, is he's actually doing a little bit of assessing of the problem. Now, assessing the problems in a situation, in a group of people, is incredibly important. Assessing, yes, the great, wonderful map. So, we're, uh, yeah, that's where Corinth is, in case you wanted to know. Uh, For those of you who are into world geography, which is not anybody who comes to our trivia nights. (laughs) Those of you who've been there, you'd know. That's not world geography. Yeah, anyways, okay, so. (laughs) So, anyways, what Paul's doing is he's assessing the problem here. And as he's assessing the problem, this is really a a very critical moment. Because let's say you're looking at, uh, let's say you're sitting in your house. This is an example I use all the time. You're sitting in a house, and there's a crack that appears above your door. And it cracks kind of from the one side of the door all the way up to the corner. And then all of a sudden you look over at a window and, oh, there's another, ah, that's weird, there's another crack and it's kind of cracking up to the side. And then you look at the ceiling and like, man, the ceiling's starting to gap a little bit. All of a sudden you look at it and you go, ah, you know what I think is the problem? I think my house is getting too dry. I know what I'll do. I'll just put some drywall mud on those cracks and it'll be, we'll call it good. Is that going to fix the problem? No, because what's happening is your foundation is settling, shifting, changing, and the whole house, the, the, the crack is not the problem. The, the problem is actually something down at the foundation. And unless you address that problem, no matter what fix you put to it, it's not going to, it's not actually going to go away. And Paul's doing this, assessing this problem. And so what he looks at is he looks at this whole thing going, you guys are, are dividing, and here's the crack that's showing. The crack that is showing is you guys are saying, I follow Paul. No, I follow Cephas. There's Peter. I follow Apollos. No, I follow Jesus. And this is truly like a, my preacher is stronger than your preacher kind of discussion. Now, we have a lot of that in our culture. We have a lot of that in our culture. Like, I follow this preacher. No, I follow this preacher. I was saved by Billy Graham himself. Well, Jesus is the one who saved me. (laughs) Take that, right? And we get into these arguments sometimes, and we divide over them. But Paul is not going to stay here. Because this is the crack that is showing. What is really the problem is down at the foundation of who they are. And the church in Corinth is forgetting not only who they were, but subsequently they're forgetting who they are in Jesus. They're forgetting who they are because they forgot who they were. So the problem is really this, these, these cracks in the foundation that are going on. And they're setting up this idea of special citizens, special classes of Christians. They had believed that there were one set of people that were more important, more theologically stout, more uh, more in tune with Jesus, closer to Jesus than others. And they were fighting to align themselves and align each other into a pecking order saying, well, I follow Paul. No, 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 I follow Peter and Peter was with Jesus. No, no, I follow Jesus himself, right? And they're trying to get this order because they they believe that there are some Christians that are more important than others. And this is going to plague them throughout the rest of the book. So this is why it starts getting tackled really early on. And I will tell you right here and right now, and this is going, I mean, I could just stop here, but I'm not going to. I will tell you right here and right now that if... 
anything in the Bible teaches you anything, if the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisee teaches you anything, if the ministry of Jesus teaches you anything at all, if the thief on the cross teaches you anything, it is that there is no such thing as a special class when it comes to Jesus. There is no special race. There is no special ethnicity. There is no special birthright. There is no special economic class. There is no special anything that will earn you a step towards Jesus or keep you further away from Him. There is no living scenario, no particular thing that you've got going on in your life, not a single thing that will either keep you away from Jesus or bring you that much closer to Him. These people are forgetting who they were before they met Christ. And subsequently they forget who they are in Christ. And what happens when that happens is in that vacuum they begin to adopt this order of power. Well, I was born into this class and so therefore I am closer. Well, I heard this preacher so therefore I am closer. And what happens is they've adopted this ethic of power and and strength that runs contrary to God's upside-down kingdom of faith and humility and submission. So we're just going to jump through the rest of this here. We'll pick this up now in verse 18. It says, For the message message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Now, here's where it turns. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world. He's talking about you and me right there, just so you know. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, Paul assesses this issue. They're fighting and there's this crack showing. But what happens is that they have forgotten who they were before Jesus. They thought somehow that Jesus' role in their life was to select the most important and make them more important than other people. But the idea here is that, no, Jesus actually steps in and the ones that He selects, the ones that He comes to, the ones that He uses, the ones that He, the ones that he dwells with are the ones who are the least and the loneliest and the left out, the ones who don't make any sense, the ones who aren't the highest educated, the ones who aren't following the ways of this world. And so it leads me to think about what in the world does God think that a strong church is? Because obviously there's something going on here. And so I'm just going to run through these real quick. First off, I think God thinks a strong church is a church that embraces God's wisdom, which to this world looks incredibly stupid. I'm just going to say it as bluntly as that, I guess. 
See, there, there are two forms of wisdom competing here, a worldly wisdom, and, and then the wisdom that God has given to the church through Jesus. And the wisdom of the church is one of sacrifice and laying down one's life, one of serving one another and humility, one of battling temptation and letting people know what's going on with you. It's one of saying, hey, I've got sin and I've got issues and I'm falling apart and I don't know what I'm doing and I am weak and I need Jesus. That's what the ethic of the world is. Or excuse me, the ethic of the church is. But the ethic of the world is totally opposite. What it says, the wisdom of this world says, no, no, actually, you need to show only your strengths. You ever have one of those interview questions? Tell me your five greatest strengths. Boom, 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 rattle them off. Tell me your five greatest weaknesses. And then you're like, well, I'm only going to give you the weaknesses that show that I'm really still strong. I don't know of a single person. I have never sat in an interview. And I've done several interviews. I've done a lot of interviews with people. Back when I worked in the paint store, I've never... I mean, I did all kinds of interviewing. And uh, that, was, that was my job, was actually doing staffing. And I've never seen somebody who sat down and I was like, so, tell me your greatest weakness. And they're like, well, probably my greatest weakness is I hate people. And I'm addicted to porn. Like, I've never heard that in an interview. I've never heard that in an interview, ever once. Yet, is that the reality of probably what? No, but because what we're, our, our, the, the wisdom of this world says, don't share everything. Only share a little bit. Only share enough that makes you look safely weak. The weaknesses that people are like, yeah, I'm still okay with that person. I could still be around them. Only show them enough so that you don't risk anything. The wisdom of this world tells you that it's all about risk management and efficiency and making sure that you still stay strong. But that's not what God's church is all about. It is about embracing weakness. But additionally, a strong church is about embracing God's strength, which looks to this world incredibly weak. When it comes to power, the way this world looks, we can, we can believe the lie that it is our duty to stand up for our position. To do whatever it takes to stop and minimize those who disagree with us. To build great and giant structures and great and giant arguments so that nobody can defeat our intellectual power and prestige because we have known everything about all things. We actually have people that we pay as Christians to go around and argue people into submission trying to sound smarter and bigger and stronger than them. We have churches that are built as giant institutions that have been built on all kinds of worldly wisdom and manly wisdom of, that we've taken from the business sector, which can be actually pretty effective sometimes. But I'll never forget the story. I don't remember who started it. I do. I mean, we could probably snopes it. I don't even care. But it's a good story. <laughs> Anyways about a Korean pastor who came over to the United States in order to tour with a church that was sponsoring him and walked around and didn't say very much until the end of the week as they'd been visiting. And the pastor finally asked the Korean pastor, what do you think? He said, man, you guys can accomplish a lot without the Holy Spirit. That is what we do. Because we are about looking strong in this culture. Our churches embrace this ethic of looking strong. In fact, we hear it all the time, and, and here we hear it all the time. It's like uh, sometimes, and, and this, if that's, uh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say this, it'll sound too judgy. Okay, never mind, I'm going to anyway. 
we, we actually do hear this all the time is, uh, is oftentimes people say, well, when are you going to put together a program for my kids? Which I think comes from a great place, right? Like they want their kids to be spiritually healthy and all that type of stuff. And I, and I tell them, I said, well, there's a lot. Of, there's 173 churches in Rapid City. You can go find a church that's bigger and stronger and has more programs for your kids. That's okay. And it is okay. But when I look at the Bible, I look at this and I go, this isn't about putting people through a production machine so they come out Christian widgets at the end. This isn't an easy thing where we're sliding people off into all these different programs and pressing a button and then all of a sudden they get real Christianized and they come out speaking the same and looking the same and dressing the same. This isn't about that. Yeah, we have kids running around and they're yelling their heads off and sometimes it's incredibly distracting, but you tell, tell you what, those kids are going to grow up and they're going to go, I was in a church with my mom. You know, some of my earliest memories of being, with a, being in church was listening to my mom harmonize, standing on a pew, learning how to read music from a hymnal, hearing my mom's voice, and it's stuck so deep down inside. That's probably from when I was like four. You think I remember a message that I heard when I was four? No. Do I remember drawing pictures when I was five or six? Heck yes, I do. Do I remember getting yelled at for drawing those pictures? Yeah, I do. Do I remember the Sunday school teacher as I was crying from getting yelled at who came over and put her arm around me and said, show me that picture? Yeah, I do. Those things are the things that we capitalize on as a church because that is God's strength. Humility, service, love, peace. Last thing Paul talks about is that a strong church embraces basically its common brokenness. He says, not many of you are of noble birth. You guys are common and you're broken. And that often looks stupid to this world too. See, the great fallacy of this world is that Jesus came to save you to make you a better you. He came to save you in order that uh, you could be part of this elite society that we would call the church that huddles into its building and looks down on the world from its lofty noses and says, you fools. It feels good to be a part of that group, but that's not what Jesus came for. Jesus came to save you, not to give you a better way or a more efficient way to get to God, or He didn't come to... He didn't come to to save your life so that God heaps blessings upon you and makes your life incredibly easy. He didn't come to save you so that you could come to Him and say, Hey, Jesus, I just want, I want happiness. I want, I want you to make me happy all of the time so that I don't ever have a problem in my life. That is not what Jesus came to do, at least not according to His words. He came to save you to make you humbler than this world, to humiliate your selfish self-worth in front of the whole world. Jesus saved you to make you a kingdom of priests and a nation unto Him. He saved you to be different than this world, which is all about importance and power. Jesus saved you so that, the, so that this world would see a harder way. A harder way. You can have it much easier going the route that Nick went. You can have it so much easier, but it will be death. It will be death. And it will be filled with all kinds of happiness and forgetting about your problems, but it will be death. And Jesus came to show you a way that is life. And unfortunately what He says is, hey, guess what? When you follow Me, you are going to be reviled. 
You're going to be despised. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be kicked in the teeth. You're going to be pushed around. You're going to be slaughtered. You're going to be brutalized. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. A strong church knows that it is full of common people serving an uncommon God at Common Ground Church. It's <laughs> a clear tagline. <laughs> Work that in. I didn't even have it written. Woo. But a strong church embraces the fact that it is a bunch of common people. Show of hands. Who here has got sin issues? Okay, anybody who's not raising their hand, you're a liar and you should raise your hand right now. <laughs> Who here struggles with defeating those sin issues on a routine basis? Here, let me ask you this. Who here struggles with prayer? Anybody here struggle to read their Bible? Yeah, guess what? Look around you. Every single one of us is a big old hopeless screw-up apart from Jesus. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you're a screw-up. <laughs> person and say, watch you turn to that same person and say, but Jesus still loves you. Here's the deal, you guys. Jesus loves it when we at least partner with him in the fact that we realize how messed up we are. Right? He loves that when that happens. When you can look at your when you can look at your fellow brother and say, You are so messed up and so am I, and thank goodness we have Jesus. He loves that. Here's what he is not exactly all that thrilled about. You are a hopeless sinner, way worse than I am. You are so lost like I never was before. And thank God that that's actually not this church. I I love that about this place is that we get to have guys like Nick come up and I'm going to ask some of you guys to come up and share your story. And what I want you to share is how messed up you are. That's my favorite subject to talk about, how messed up I am. So that's all about churches. We're just going to get personal and ask Matt to come up and sing. Let's get personal. Here's the deal. That's what if this is what God thinks is a strong church, what does God think is a strong person? How does how do you become strong in your faith? Well, I think it's the exact same way. A strong person knows how weak they are apart from Jesus. Now without Jesus, man, you got nothing going for you. A strong person knows how absolutely foolish and stupid they are apart from Jesus. Because without Jesus, just think where you're going to go. A strong person knows how common they are apart from Jesus. They know how simple they are apart from Jesus. But a strong person also knows that in the power of Jesus, everything changes. The power of Jesus, you're given a mission. And He's the one who has all authority and He's the one who does it. In the name of Jesus, you know that you are no longer foolish, but you have wisdom that He gives you, right? Like, it's not even something you come up with on your own. Because if you came up with it on your own, you'd be going the way that Nick did too, like, and the way that I did too. You'd be screwing everything up because what seems right to us is death apart from Jesus. And a strong person knows exactly how weak they are apart from Jesus, and they embrace that saying, He is my strength. He is my shield. I need Him. My last question to you is simply this. Do you know who you would be without Jesus? 
Just think about that for a second. Do you know who you would be without Jesus? I know who I would be without Jesus. I was just telling somebody a story about this the other day, and sorry I'm taking a little bit extra time, but telling a story about some some telling a story to somebody about this the other day. He said, Old Brian used to get business done. Brian doesn't get any business done anymore, but old Brian used to get business done. And what I mean by that is old Brian used to if if somebody was not coming through on their promises or making making true on their promises and uh, giving me their delivery of paint or whatever, or paying me their bills, what I'd do is I'd get on the phone and I'd dress them down and argue them into a corner until they were crying. And I'd get what I needed. And I'd do it like that. And in fact, old Brian came out the other day because we were dealing with a hail damage claim and this poor lady who was my insurance adjuster, um, this was just like three months ago, four months ago, this poor lady who was my insurance adjuster, she, I get her on the phone, and this had been a year of me battling, I get her on the phone, and old Brian all of a sudden came out, and within five minutes she was literally weeping on the phone. I, I had killed that, that young girl. I had called her Christianity into check. I had called her faith into check. I would called her personality into check. I would called her all kinds of... I would inf- I'd, I'd inferred all kinds of things about her and I got a check for the entirety of our property got stuff done but I left a girl crying I left her weeping I know who I would be without Jesus and it would not be good it would not be good do you know who you would be without Jesus if you dwell on that for a while things don't go wrong just think about who you would be without Jesus and praise God for what he has done in your life. Jesus, we come before you and uh, I just thank you for the change that you bring into lives. Lord, I know that I am not perfect. I know I screw up all the time. Thank you that although I'm not where I ought to be, I'm better than where I once was because of your grace and because of your goodness. Thank you that you've taken me on a journey and that you're taking my friends on a journey that makes us look more and more like you. But Lord, help us to remember that the more we look like you means the more we look like a humble servant who sacrifices everything and will get kicked in the teeth and thrown up on a cross. That's what we've signed up for. And maybe there are some here who haven't signed up for that. And for them, it might be total foolishness. They're looking at them going, that's what that means to follow Jesus. I don't want to sacrifice anything. And I pray that you would just send your spirit to speak to those people. And for those here who have maybe never given their life to Jesus or have, have struggled to or maybe have given their life to the wrong Jesus, the Jesus who promised, promises comfort and, and happiness and prosperity. Lord, that is not the Jesus that you came to reveal yourself to be in your word. I pray that we would repent of those things and we would give our lives to you and that we would trust in your goodness and your strength and your wisdom because we need you. Help us to be a broken people together. Thank you for life change in people like Nick. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for changing the lives of my friends here. And I pray that you would help us to know that more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.